Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries, here to tell you how they built their brands. And also a big thanks to this week's show sponsor, iTrolley.ie, who have come on board to sponsor this episode. iTrolley is an online marketplace that offers thousands of products and a broad range of services. And they're down at Lyland, and you can find out more about them on iTrolley.ie. Welcome to episode 7 of the 24 Stories podcast. First of all, before I introduce you to this week's guest, I just want to say hello to our international audience. I've been blown away by the number of people from around the world that have been listening to the podcast. I suppose when I set this up, I expected people in Cork and and I suppose in other counties across Ireland. But um, I've been surprised that we've had regular listeners from some unusual destinations as far away as the likes of the Philippines and Egypt. But regular listeners from the likes of Quincy and Massachusetts. We've had regular listeners from Richardson, I think, which is near Dallas, uh, Vancouver, Brussels, Sydney, Dubai. So for any of you guys that are listening and you've been listening for the last few weeks, uh, hello to you guys. So thanks for listening and please share it with people that you know in those parts of the world as well. And, and reach out, send us a message. Tell us why you're listening week in, week out. So on with this week's podcast and we're going down to something that I love. So I've said that I love craft beer a few weeks ago. Something that I probably love even more is coffee. And one of the fastest growing coffee brands in this country is Vito Coffee. And I have their founder and CEO, Rob Horgan, in front of me. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Mill, for having us. So, Rob, how does one get into, I suppose, coffee? Like, we are always in food. Like, what's the backstory, like, before you set up a cafe? The bit that entertains people about me is that I actually went to ag college. When I think of ag college, is that like for, like for, for the farming community? How, how does that work? I went in England, so in, in Ireland there's two choices. You do science-based in UCD or you do the more general farming courses. I went to one in England, which is more about running a farm as a business. Okay. And that was that was the view was to come back here to that. And college, I suppose, matures you as, you, mm. as, as you're tasked with daily with the students. Yeah. And I went working with a veg and salad grower in England, two really impressive brothers. They had a farm inside the M25. This is unfortunately 20 years ago. Yeah. They had a farm in Spain to give them continuation of supply. So yeah. if there was bad weather in the UK, they could bring in crop from Spain because that was my first foray into dealing with supermarkets. And they just want to know that you're going to be there for them. You're yeah. going to have the product they need for their customer on a daily basis. And they're really not bothered about what you have to do in the background to make it happen once the product is there on time and right. And there was a period of time then after the UK where I was there doing well and it was, do I want to spend the rest of my life in the UK? Yeah. or come home. Um, and I had a brother in London at the time and he was struggling to move back to Ireland. Lifestyle is different, pay scales are different. So yeah. it was it was decision time. So that's when I came back home and got into food back here. So like I'd imagine you learned a lot from those two lads, the, the two brothers in terms of how they got out to market and so on. They were inspirational, two guys. It just the whole business fascinates me. They Their own transport fleet at the time, those 24 trucks, you know, the yeah. supermarkets back hauling into depots. And we still had Quinsworth. Tesco's bought Quinsworth. That's right. Yeah. And we then went to the central depots. But it was light years ahead of what we were doing in Ireland at the time. In Ireland, 20 years later, we're all doing that. We're delivering mm. centralized depots. There's quality checks in depots. There's expectations. But back then, there would have been a lot of local suppliers in Ireland supplying into stores. So that was the start back then and went on working with Keypack, 
worked with Rich Sauces, which would be a food service mm. sauce company. Brief stint in oil, of all things. So you went away from food for a while and went into the oil business? Just a very brief stint. Okay, um, you didn't like it? In in the food, you're in a consultative cell. Yes. Um, there's a reason to believe in the product. There's a story behind the product. Yeah. In the oil business, it was, do you need oil today? No. Okay. Do you need it next week? I don't know. Ring me next week. Um, and it was purely, how much is it today? Whereas you can't build a long-term relationship with a customer on that level. I get you. Yeah, it's a lot of it is based on price. They don't see the true value of what it's what it's doing for them probably on a day-to-day basis. Oil at a grade is oil at a grade as far as they're concerned. Yeah. And it, it's not a, there's not a buy-in and a belief. Um, Castrol probably have, have the best part of that buy-in and belief to the brand, but the rest of it is just mm. commodity. Whereas food is something <clears> different. People buy into food and I'd, I'd imagine working with a lot of the Irish brands over the years, people are very passionate about that. I'd imagine this country anyway. Well, you've you've strong loyalty to food. They believe in it. They want to know about it. They want to know where it's coming from. If you make a change with with food, you'll see it very quickly. One of the best insights we got to our customers in Velo so far was we changed our packaging. We don't believe in greenwash. We believe in sustainability. Because of the sector we're in, I suppose, we're pushed harder to be sustainable because Mm. there's a lot of mileage in our product. And we wanted to be the first on the mainstream retail shelves with fully recyclable packaging. We probably pushed the boundary a bit too early and the packaging was difficult to open. We never got so many phone calls, social media messages and emails from our customers about, please bring back the old packaging. We were trying to do the right thing for where we felt our customers were at. It was a real insight to the emotional attachment that the consumer has to our coffee, which we would have never thought. I suppose they fall in love with brands for a different reason. I'm sure if Barry's tea changed the colour red to something else, people would get very upset about it as well. Or it's like when Coca-Cola changed their recipe back in the day and people, you know, there was nearly protests about it, you know. But for a small company to, to see that we had that many customers that yeah. took the effort to write to us and at the start you were kind of offended, stroke upset that you'd upset your customers and then, then we looked at it and went, hold on a minute, this is a really good sign for us as a company that our customers are that attached to the product. Mm. Yes, we never intended on upsetting them. We were trying to do something for the good of all of us. Mm. But the fact that they've taken the time to write to us, email us, message us, phone us about this is fantastic. And we've learned from it. We've a new bag coming again. The technology has improved. There's a laser scoring on the bag. But it was a real insight to where the customers are at with us and that they're in this with us, which we would have never thought. But if I rewind to the start of the Velo story, 2015, was it? So 2015, we opened a cafe in Cork and everything in the cafe was locally sourced where we could. So okay. we had Johnny McCroom mozzarella's mozzarella. Yeah. We had Arbutus bread, Dubliner cheese, despite the name that's produced down in West that's Cork. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we were trying to do good food, well, local, mm. and our coffee was imported from Italy. Yeah. And I suppose it just didn't fit with what we were at. Yeah. So when I would have been on the farm, I would have been on the production side of it. When I was key pack, you would have been doing factory tours. So I'd have a good exposure to manufacturing. I worked in prepared veg and that was all production. So yeah. manufacturing is something that wouldn't have phased me. Yeah. And I started researching what's involved in coffee roasting mm. so that the view was that we would go meet roasters to decide who we were going to move to in Ireland. And the reason we were researching was so that we'd know which one of them knew their game mm. that we could hang our hat. And we looked and went, we can actually do this. So I went to Germany and got trained. And what's the training course <clears throat> then? Like what, what would be the title of the training course? So it's it's 
training to be a coffee roaster. So does that just a course yep. for that? Yep. Yeah. There's lots of science going on in coffee roasting. Okay. And it's it's hard to explain to people, but you actually have to park a lot of what's going on and just look at what you can control. The one thing that you don't want with coffee roasting is you never want to bake the coffee. So you hear people talking about rate of rise and it's ensuring that the, the temperature curve is continually going up in the bean. Because if you bake the coffee, you'll, it's the most notable defect in coffee. You'll get this flat lining. So you know all this stuff that's going on, but you can't control it. So you have to park it and just control what you can with the bean, the freshness of the bean, the temperature outside and get that rate of rise. But the most important thing for Velo is that we ensure that we get consistency because if you go into one of our customers during the week and you buy a bag of our coffee, you want it as consistent as possible to what you got last week. It is the same as any other food product. The bean is alive and there's systems in place then to ensure that we get you as close as possible year in, year out. We've lots of controls in place to ensure that. So did the course and came back and we, we started roasting. And, and how long was that after you opened up? Two years. So yeah. within two years you were making your own coffee? Yeah. Probably after about 10 months we started it and then by the time we did the research, got the training, ordered the equipment, got it in. Um, so the back end of 2017 we started roasting. And what happens then? So, okay, you're saying we're, we're about to roast coffee. Do you get the beans from a wholesaler in Europe or does it come from, you know, Africa, South America? Like, how, how do you get it? Because obviously it doesn't grow in Ireland. There's lots of green bean merchants around Europe okay. um, who go to origin and they research it from around the world. So we narrowed it down to Olam. They're based in Liverpool. Mm. They're a worldwide company and they've just been hugely supportive since we started. But it's, it's funny because our first coffee was a four bean blend. Yeah. And I taught her in four bags, so yeah, quarter of a ton of coffee. And I was just looking at these going, when are we going to get rid of these? So like, even though the coffee, obviously the, the beans originate from somewhere else, it actually is unique. The taste so will be unique to you guys because it's, as you said, it, there's a science involved. So there's a formula involved in every bag, is there? So if the two of us stood and I showed you how to roast Velo Tandem. Yeah which is a blend of Colombia and Brazil. Okay. If two of us roast it, we'll produce a slightly different coffee on the exact same machine, roast after the other, and that's down to the guy who's standing there doing the roasting, that there's slight variances. Most consumers wouldn't notice the difference between two of us if we were following the same recipe. Okay. But that's the difference between all of the coffee roasters around the world. We all have little unique differences. The atmospheric pressure can affect your coffee roasting the ambient air temperature, yeah. the gas pressure in your area. Yeah. Um, so some coffee roasters don't have mains gas. We're lucky enough in Cork to have it and it's stable. But if you're roasting off a tank, as the tank wears down, you won't have as much power in your roaster. Okay. So you're you're controlling your burner by 1% increments. Yeah. And if your power of your gas isn't as strong as it was yesterday, yeah. that 1% increment will be different. So there's, there's so much going on that you just have to be aware of your surroundings we're recording every day when Adam starts, he's looking at the atmospheric pressure, the temperature, the wind's direction, because airflow through your roaster has a huge effect on it, which is pulling the heat through the roaster. How quick has that been pulled through? And if the wind is extremely strong outside and going from a particular direction, that could suck through the roaster quicker just by where the exhaust is passing. So it's back down to what I keep 
kind of harping back at you need to know about all these things and then park them and follow your recipe ensure that you're getting the same rate of rise yeah and you're getting the continuation of the graph on the roasting curve that you're watching so the roaster is plugged into there's a touch screen on it but it's also plugged into a computer where we're watching the graphs to ensure that we're repeating the recipe day in day out and how would you come up with that recipe then? Is it a case of like trial and error? Like I like mad scientists with coffee beans everywhere and we'll try this one today, we'll try that one tomorrow. How does that work? When you get in a coffee bean, yeah. there'll be some flavor notes from the green bean merchant. Yeah. And you're trying to bring out the most of them. So if you want to bring out more of the bitters, you'll go slightly darker on the coffee. If you want to bring out more of the sweetness, when you get into the development phase of roasting after the first crack, the mm. longer you can have the development phase, the more the sweetness you'll bring out in the bean. But there's a balance then. You need to be very careful that you don't go into the baking phase yeah, because you're continuing to rise the bean. You don't want to go dark because if you go dark, you'll bring the bitterness back in and you want to extend that phase to get as much sweetness out of the bean as possible. So unfortunately, there is an element of the mad scientist. And then I see on the bags, and I can get it because I'm I'm a big lover of, of, of Velo myself, and I love the tandem one. It says often, it says like chocolate on it, or it says, you know, cocoa beans, or there's other things written on it usually, or there's vanilla flavor, there's, like, is it a case you just throw chocolate into the roast? Or, like, how does that work? Like, where did yeah, the flavors come from? We had a fantastic girl working with us. She's moved back to Poland, Sandra. Yeah. And, um. Sandra was explaining coffee flavors to a gentleman one day yeah. and there was a lemon note in the flavor yeah. and the man got livid with her. I don't want you throwing lemon into my coffee. <laughs> lemon is goes into tea. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of similarities in those flavor notes to the wine industry. Okay. Yeah. And Suzanne that works with us is a fantastic palate. She's great at identifying them probably ahead of the rest. The short answer is we don't throw anything in there. Yeah. There are some flavored coffees out there. They're quite popular in America. Yeah, that would well, actually have chocolate in it, kind they, of. They'd have a coating that be predominantly the nutty flavours. They'd put yes. a, a hazelnut oil over it afterwards and stuff. Um, we don't do that. So it's the notes that are in the bean, which is going to use the wine expression, going back to the terroir, of where the beans were grown okay. and, and what notes they're picking up in the area. It's kind of like extracts kind of floating around or whatever, and the beans are picking it up. What they've gathered from the soil in the okay. area, and like we've lovely Ugandan coffee at the yeah. moment but it's particularly lemony and you can taste it and that'll make a lovely coffee over a filter brew yeah. but over an espresso then that'll just be nearly too bitter with the lemon punching yeah. through and it's looking at those coffees and, and picking what coffee suits how you want to brew it. Because some of them do taste kind of chocolatey dark chocolate in particular especially if you put an espresso and I was convinced that you were kind of adding something so does not, that just comes from the soil. The problem with a podcast, Steve, is people can't see me. Yeah. You look at the size of me. If there was chocolate in the building, I'd never get to the coffee. <laughs> so you create the first coffee. Did you have to try and, I suppose, sell it to your customers then? Or did you just kind of say, we're, set, we're doing our own coffee? How, how did that work inside in the cafe? I suppose the customers were excited about the journey we were on, that we yeah. were making this change. And in any food business, when you make a change, mm. you'll probably have 2% of the customers will notice and be... Boarding on offended by the change. Okay. The majority of people will be happy that the surrounding, the atmosphere that they're buying into. So if they're buying into Velo in a shop, that, that yeah. Velo has the same beliefs of them. And that if we produce a new coffee, that it'll be something they'll like. Mm. They won't always like it. We managed that change with telling the customers that we we're going on this journey together and, and they were happy. And then the big challenge was to go out and get customers. Like as in people to buy the coffee, but not even to have food inside and inside yeah. in Velo at the time. 
So when we were doing the research, we went, one of the things that people were saying was like, oh, you won't be able to do this in the middle of a city. Like yeah. a lot of the other coffee roasters are quite a bit outside of towns yeah. that are around the country. And we have lots of them in Ireland now. There's a place in the middle of Shoreditch in London, Ozone, and they're roasting in the middle of Shoreditch. So people were saying you won't be able to do that in Cork. And the thing I don't like being told is that you can't yeah, do something yeah, yeah. for no reason. Yeah. And so I went over, met the lads in Ozone, and they were like, yeah, the only the only challenge is like that if you produce good coffee, people will really switch to it quick from the mass-produced stuff. They'll appreciate it. Mm. So buy the biggest roaster you can afford because like we've run out of space here. And then there's a lovely coffee shop on the edge of the canal in Amsterdam, lot 61. And you can't roast coffee in Cork, but you can do it right in the edge of the canal in Amsterdam. So went and met the guys and the same thing. Lovely girl there said to me, like, whatever you do, get the biggest roaster you can because you'll run out of capacity quick. Yeah. People will really jump onto it. Yeah. So that convinced me that, yeah, you can do this in the middle of Cork. Um, so we're located now up in Mayfield and, you know, effectively in the city. And there's no issues with being in the middle of the city, trucks in and out and 60 kilo bags. It's fantastic. But everything on paper should have said we should have bought a five kilo roaster at the start. So did you, you went for that big one at the very we start the, and, put it into the 12. The, and put it into the cafe? Yep. So, so that, that obviously took up space then. In terms of the cafe at the time, did it? it? It's called a shop roaster. So they're designed to be in a coffee shop. shops. Okay. Um, and like one of our taglines is small batch, big flavor. Mm. So we want to keep it that, that we're getting a visual over the coffee, that there's actually a human looking at the coffee, pulling out defects, yeah. looking for beans that aren't quite right. And that's one of the things that gives us our consistency. That took a big risk though. Like, First of all, there was a risk, I'd imagine, setting up a cafe and the next thing, within two years, you're buying this big roaster to put into the into the cafe itself to, to sell a product to people that aren't even eating your food. When you go out and work for yourself, it can be testing on marriages. Yes. And we kind of had discussed it and, okay, he's taking another risk. He's going and getting into coffee roasting. It makes sense. It fits with the story. But everything was lined up and been on the roasting course, got on well, was ready, and there was going to be a gap between ordering the roaster mm. and getting it so there was the fear that you kind of forget what you'd learned and stuff and yeah. a lot of books and stuff but the money was gone to Germany and sitting at home one evening just finished dinner and my wife said to me you know I was thinking about that like you know the money's gone everything now like things are going to be tight for a while and you know get this up and running what are you going to do if your coffee is shit yeah and there was this long oh, God. silence of oh my God yeah and I suppose People who go out and work for themselves, there's a level of arrogance in them. Yeah. And belief. I never thought about that. What happens if it goes wrong? So there was risk. There was... few sleepless nights? Yeah, we we had our own market with the cafe. And that was tipping away nicely at the time, I think, yeah. as well. It was, it was building up a reputation around the area. I've been lucky with the... I hate these people who talk about the team and it sounds insincere. Yeah. But the people who are working in it, they're passionate about it. Yeah. And there's a belief in Velo at the moment that we can take on the world. Yeah. And having those people, I can then push on and, and take these risks. And yeah. at the moment, like we're coming into the peak season and, and like everyone's working really hard. Mm. And when you have a team like that, you can do it and it, it, it de-risks it. Yeah. And having those guys bought into what we're doing and the, the pride that they have in what we produce every day and what we do is fantastic. And that doesn't come from me, that comes from them. And were they involved in that from very early on? So like when you got that first machine, were you doing the first roasts or did you bring somebody in that was like the guy Adam, did you bring him in 
I, I was doing the first roast. Okay. Um, and then Sandra could roast, Jen could roast, yeah. uh, Adam could roast. Those guys have been trained by us. Adam has just a phenomenal appetite to read and watch videos and learn more and more yeah. about the roasting process every day. So in 2017, when it came in, when did you decide to go and say, okay, I could sell this outside of Velo, I could sell it somewhere else, I could sell it to shops and stuff. When did that happen? The plan was always to, to develop a, a coffee business okay, um, and to do that. And we did the Super Value Food Academy program locally. Which um, was a phenomenal program for, for small food startups, wasn't it? Yeah, like the training and course that they give is, is really good. Yeah. It can be challenging with the stores because they don't have central control over it. Yes, they're like all like little franchises and stuff, aren't they? Yeah. Yep. And then the Grow with Aldig program came out and it was the first year of that. And myself and Jen were looking at that program and went, right, let's do this. Let's apply for it. Yeah. And Johnny in McCroom Mozzarella was in Aldi at the time. Mm. So we went out and met Johnny and had a tour of the Buffalo farm and he was telling us, the biggest thing with Aldi is when they speak in thousands, they're not using it as a buying trick or anything. So if they say to you they're going to order multiple thousands off you and you say no problem, be ready because that's what they'll order. Okay. So we went to pitch to them and we were driving up. Jen had a lot of the work prepared for the pitch and as we were going up the Dublin Road, it was up in Kilnard, I said to her, Jen, I was thinking about this, um, probably unfair of me to do that pitch in the morning. You know, <laughs> you've done all the work. Yeah. So if you want to do it, I'm happy for you to do it. And yeah. it was a big risk for the business because it was, from what Johnny had told us, if we got the, the piece, it was a, a two-week trial in Aldi. Even the opening order, trial order was going to be big. The game changer for you, really. Yeah. yeah. It became that. It, it, it transformed the business. And um, there was silence in the car for the next 20 minutes. It was like my wife's comment. And uh, I said, look, there's no pressure out. I'll do it, no problem. I'll stop. Yeah. Step yeah. in at any time. But like, yeah. I think it's only fair that you do it if you want to do it. Jen came back and went, yeah, I'll do it. Brilliant. And uh, we did that the following day and the pitch went well. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. We got in the shelf for the couple of weeks, but there was training with Borbia as part of that program. Yeah. And it became clear that the prize really wasn't two weeks on the shelves in Aldi. The prize was to get to a year on the shelves. And, you know, we regularly refer on social media that our coffee is available from Buncrana to Skibbereen. Yeah. And for a car company to find an outlet in Buncrana, we'd have no chance without the likes of them. So myself and Jen focused on, we knew we had the machinery to produce the coffee. Yeah. We knew at that stage we were happy that we could produce good coffee consistently. And we need to get focused on getting the year. So we put a plan in place on how do we secure the year? So... At the time, there was 25 people working in the business. Yeah. Jen tasked them all with, when we were ready to launch in Aldi, will you share this social media comment with 10 of your friends and ask them to share it? Knowing that, you know, they'd probably get it out to five and that yes. five would probably yeah. share it to two. Yeah. And when we launched in Aldi on the Saturday, we were the lead story digitally on the independent for the day on the Saturday and we Brilliant. kept it into the Sunday. And it was that, just the whole teamwork of everyone sharing, everyone bought in, then like, well, Jen turned into a tyrant and she's a lovely girl asking people, oh, have you somebody in Wexford? Would you ask them if they pop in and buy a bag? Yeah. And what she wanted to do is she wanted to get the product activated in every store yeah. so that suddenly the, the product was ringing in Aldi's tills and that would get us the year-long piece. And we did that. We worked. Everyone worked really hard, but that's only one piece. The product had to stand up. Yeah, that's and the most important bit, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, we the first Irish 
coffee producer in Aldi. To have the full listing, yeah. So yeah. at that time, when we did that first grow program, there was three coffees went in. Yeah. And Aldi would be known as a discounter, but they would have quality produce in there yes. at, at a competitive price point yeah. rather than cheap food. Yeah. And we were the dearest coffee on that trial by a margin. So we got a call and it was, we want you to know this. We don't want it to be a surprise and we're not asking you to alter your commercials, but the pricing has come in for your coffee and there's two other coffees in this trial mm. and you're significantly dearer. And we had to hold our guns because that's what worked for us. Yeah. And we said, look, like if we're lucky enough to get the year long listing, there will be savings. There'll be savings on packaging because instead of doing a short run of packaging, we can do a bigger run. We'll happily pass those on. But for this to work for us as a business, we need to stick to our guns and I wouldn't be the bravest person, but it was a brave move, but it was the right move as well. Yeah. And we were lucky the consumer took to it, but we were dealing with Clean O'Connor and Anthony Cotter and Coolgrade. They're both unfortunately gone to work Vivo now. Yeah. And they were doing the packaging for us. And if you looked at the time in the coffee aisle, all of the packaging, and it was going back to Colette last week on yeah. the insights. Yeah. It was black bags or it was brown craft it bags. It was, yeah. It's very dark colours, mm. wasn't it? For coffee, it was associated yeah. with even even the instant coffees for years, they were all the dark red or dark blue or really kind of, you know, they'd all blend in with each other. Maxwell yeah. Host and all those, yeah. So we went and we went with a white bag and... Very different. It was just that piece and Colette will argue different with me. You never know what is that split second that goes from the shelf to the shopping basket. Yeah. And we feel some of that magic is in the bag. Yeah. There was and a curiosity probably from the customer, was there? Yep. And and the fact that we were we were hammering it out there on social media as well so that they had nearly a little bit of recognition of yeah. what it was before it landed on the shelf. It was timing important here because there was a rise in the popularity of coffee as well because let's let's be honest, a lot of people would have probably not even known what a coffee bean was in Ireland over 10 years ago. If you go back to the recession that we don't like talking about, but when everyone emigrated to Australia, yeah. the third wave of coffee is as effectively known, which is people moving into speciality coffee yeah. and better quality coffee. Those people all started to come back home yeah. and they were bringing these coffee notions with them. Yes. And they were suddenly realizing that this can be a way more enjoyable cup of coffee than mm. drinking dark roasted, yeah. punch in the gut, burnt coffee. Very bitter stuff, yeah. 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 Um, that it can actually be an eno- enjoyable drink that you can have over different parts of the day. Mm. And that, that timing piece certainly was the change in culture of coffee certainly helped us. And then people started buying mocha pots and French presses and aero presses and all that type of stuff and tried to experiment at home, I'd imagine, was it? Like when we started out, the website was sitting there in the background on Shopify and, you know, it's it's a figure I've given out in 2019 our website for the year did two and a half thousand euros for the we, year. For the year, and what did that like? What was that? Was was accessories? A couple of bags of coffee, bits of accessories, but we couldn't sell the equipment per se. Okay, and to date, we've exported to forty two countries. We are selling coffee equipment every day. We're selling coffee. Some was down to the pandemic and the change of culture. Some was down to Suzanne redoing the website, changing around the way things are yeah. and promoting it more. But there's there's definitely a switch in coffee and people's interest in coffee. You know, if you talk to somebody now about coffee, a lot of houses will have two different brewing devices in there. Okay. So they'll have an espresso machine yeah. and a French press still, or they'll have an AeroPress and a V60. And they're looking at different coffees and brewing them different ways and enjoying them different ways. 
and we're lucky on the timing but the website now is is a whole division of the business and it's unbelievable to think how that has changed so it went from two and a half thousand to what oh scary big massive numbers massive numbers Six, telephone figure. numbers yeah yeah like there's three people working on the website just on full the time website. now like twice last week we phoned on post to get a second collection in the day mm. that we would fill a van so the 42 countries, and what are they buying from you? Are they buying your coffee or are they buying something else? Are they buying the machines or... Everything. Like, we would see a machine as a key to a lifetime customer. So if we can give them a machine competitively priced, give them good service on it, that they will come back and buy coffee. Because we're a coffee business, we're not a machine business. Yeah. So the most important thing for us is that we give them best-in-class customer service, mm. that they get constant updates from the website, and that we reach out to them, make sure that everything arrived on time the way it was supposed to be, yeah. and that we can convert them into a lifetime coffee customer. That's where the real value for us as a business is. But you obviously had to partner with the machine manufacturers such as Sage and DeLonghi and those type of, did you? Our aim at the start of the year was to make Velo Coffee Roasters the go-to coffee website in Ireland this year. Yeah. And by that we mean that we have the biggest range with the stock live on the site available all the time and if you go onto our site now there's just 1400 different items on there the stock is live and if you order up to three o'clock today Aoife will get it out by half three and it's all of that that piece Brexit then came in last year and threw a spanner in the works and supply chain of the equipment mm. we've gone across the world we're dealing direct with manufacturers in Asia now on equipment we're dealing with manufacturers across Europe and suppliers across Europe to solve that Brexit piece last week the website on monetary, we exported more than we did nationally. That's not every week, but last week that happened, and it's it's that trend will continue. And how are you getting to that level, considering that there's so many big players, especially I'd imagine in the UK and and so on and across Europe? Like, how are you punching above those lads? The dedicated team. Yeah. Um, you'd be friendly enough with Dave Doyle that works yeah. on the marketing yeah. side with us, continually doing new creative. Yeah, we have a chap in Dubai looking after some advertising for us. He's always challenging Dave on the video content, and I suppose we're obsessive with it now at this stage because we realise the value of it. So social media is playing a huge role, is it? Social media, digital advertising, I would call it. Okay. So Google more ads. so than content creation, more the ad focused, targeted advertising, is it? Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram mm -hmm. ads. Um, we've played with TikTok. We haven't gone as far as Snapchat yet. The quality of the content for those ads is not just about putting an ad out there and it's sticking. Google learning. So if you go into Google shopping and you click through on a Velo ad yeah. and you go as far as buying it and Velo deliver it, yeah. Google have insight to that because they're seeing the tracking. They're, the Shopify site is well linked into Google. Mm. It's well linked into Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. So the next time somebody comes on looking for a similar piece of search, the way Google is so effective is if it presents them with the most appropriate item for them, they continue through. So if we can continue to deliver, Google give us a greater share of vision to the right type of customers. Yeah. And it becomes a snowball effect then. But online advertising piece, our ads are updated every week, Constantly. multiple times a week. As we're in peak now, our ads could be updated three times this week. The text could be changed. The imagery could be changed. The video could be changed. Ads that'll go into stories, ads that'll go into... And you can park one piece and go that's obtrusive that's what our competitors are doing yeah so you know if you're going into your facebook or instagram account and you're not paying facebook or instagram you are the product so there 
our ads are is what's paying for that piece yes. in the background. Email marketing is huge, so Madison's working on email marketing. And most do you find of it still week. working? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in what way does email marketing work? Like, are they looking to see have you a new product or something available? Or so we've a big focus next year on pushing towards more educational in our social media piece. Yeah. There's a lot of coffee snobbery, but if you if Madison's sending an email, in my view, there has to be a reward for the customer yeah. in opening that email. So there has to be a new product that mm. that customer would be potentially yeah. interested in. So having the website sitting with the Shopify police, we can get huge amounts of customer d- data from it. So her emails will be segregated. So if you bought a Sage machine off us, she would know that you have a Sage machine. So she can pull, pull a list of email people who've bought Sage machines. Yeah. There's a new Sage filter out. Yeah, We have a new bean out that will work really well on a Sage machine. There's a new descaler out for Sage machine. Or if it's a AeroPress you've bought, we've new AeroPress filters out. There's a new metal AeroPress filter. It can't just be, hey, guess what? Velo wants you to buy something again this week. Yes. And in that then, if it's a new product, that's your payment. We've told you about something that you potentially wouldn't own. Yeah. And if it's an update coming up to Black Friday, there has to be a specific discount code in there for people so that our email doesn't become that spam that when you see an email in from Velo, there has to be something to say to you psychologically if I open that, there's a reward for me in there of some form, either a piece of knowledge that's of use to you, mm. a discount code, or some news about a new product that would be of use to you. And that's down to the the work on the reporting that Madison's pulling and breaking down our emails so that we're not just blanket, all of our email database got an email. They don't want that. You'll just see your unsubscribe rate click up. So email is sitting on Clavio now. We were using HubSpot for segregation and Clavio just gives you more. So when you asked, does it work? Madison will give a report every week on what email has earned in revenue for the business. Yeah. Um, And that's growing every time as we get better at it. Yeah, because the investment won't be as much as something like Google and Facebook, I'd imagine. I know there's time in terms the, of email the, and you have to pay for the platform, but... There's time and there's pain for the platform, but it's more visible, the return. Yeah. Um, since the iOS update, the, the whole Google and Facebook thing has become challenging. Yes. So, like, we would have had great success before from a lookalike audience. Mm. So, Facebook would know your habits online. Yes. They'd know what you did. So, they could find me being very similar to you and match me up with a previous purchase and show an ad that way. That doesn't work anymore. So, we're going back to the traditional traffic-driven ads at the moment. The site is growing, our revenue is growing, our order numbers are growing, our average order value is growing, so clearly that's working. So you're getting a return on investment. Yeah, and, and, and you have to watch that. You can run yeah, down the rabbit hole. companies, yeah, that have, that have spent a fortune and, and not got the return. Yeah. Companies here in Cork, actually, yeah. yeah. No, we're, we're weekly watching it, so I have a call this afternoon with Ryan, who looks after the Google side of things, mm. and a lot of that call will be on return on investment and channels where we're getting better lift so we lost a good chunk of the uk this year over brexit mm. we now have a solution back and we're back trading strongly in the uk so a couple of weeks ago i asked ryan to open up the budget on the uk because we were now getting the return again mm. and watching that return is really important with particularly with digital advertising because it can just get out of hand if you go back to traditional media you ring the examiner you put an ad in the paper mm. it's a fixed price for the ad and it's one hit and it's over if you leave an ad digitally run out of control, 
it'll just keep dipping into your bank account. And do you find it's hard to budget for the year then in terms of digital for that reason? Because like, you know, most companies are used to putting a budget together for marketing at the start of a year. And I'm sure a lot of people are sitting down at the moment thinking for 2022. But how do you do it for digital? Like if you see that you're getting a return, do you keep on putting more and more money in? We've a, a fixed percentage that we of revenue that we're willing to spend on digital a month. Okay. And we would look at the calendar, look at the projections, see where we're going on it. And we would give a digital monthly budget at the start of the month and assess it weekly then as to where we're going. And that's more about watching that we're still getting the return that we haven't just opened up. So the back end of the year is busier. The cost per clicks are more expensive. Yes. So you've, you've to spend more to keep yourself there and keep your share of voice. But we just watch it and, and you have to be obsessive with watching it. So when you sell a machine, do you then kind of say, okay, well, that machine's gone out. No, we need to try and hook them into Velo Coffee as well. Do you give out free coffee with the machines or anything like that? So with with uh, an espresso machine, a higher ticket item, we would give samples yeah. of coffee. And then when we're packing, if if you would uh, an overrun of coffee, yeah. um, we'd put that into sample bags Um the sample bags would all have a QR code back to the website to tell you what the coffee is. Brilliant. And that's, again, about driving traffic back to the website to get the people to look. So they get a sample bag. It tells them that it's coffee, and the QR code tells them exactly what coffee it is and what it'll be good for. That's very innovative in terms of just being a bit clever, trying to do something different. Are you tracking that then to see those customers, are they coming back buying coffee for me? Suzanne is the the ultimate manager of the website and yeah. she's obsessed with her returning customer rate. Yeah. Because you have to be if you know, we touched on the, the cost of digital advertising yeah. and it needs to get to a stage where you can wean off that to an extent. Of course. That you have a pool of customers and, and if we look after them, there should be no reason why they shouldn't keep coming back. Mm-hmm. And we feel that there's a coffee for everyone on our website. Yeah bar the really dark roasted and it's about finding the one there so like we've over 25 coffees on the website at the moment from different origins across the world there is something for everyone there and it's that piece of the educational next year we need to educate them more about the coffees we have so that to help them find the one that's best suited to their palate and what they want but i suppose you can't track every customer like for example me I'm not a one for buying on websites. I usually prefer to pick them up and shop. That's just the way I am in general. It's funny because I teach digital marketing, but I, I love handling things in my hand, probably like collect going into the, the supermarkets. So my wife got me a stage machine from you guys last year for Christmas. And I think it's a game changer, like, especially when we had a lockdowns. But if I go into a store, no, what I love is I see your bags everywhere. Like, but you can't track me as a customer, really. We're lucky that we like we've the listing in Aldi, Dunn's, Tesco's, and we're in a nice few super values around. That's marketing. It's, in itself, it's, it's, it? it's, it's, a, it's a problem for us in some ways mm. that we, we don't have visibility in that. But it says that we're doing something right if they've had the faith in, in the listing with us. We touched on the change in coffee industry. Yeah. When we were dealing with Tesco's at the start of the year, we never expected Tesco's to take in a range of nine Velo coffees they've gone to somebody like Colette and got insight as to where the coffee industry is moving yeah. and they've taken the leap of faith forward in that. So we're really lucky with that and that exposure is fantastic and we accept it. It's when you talk to some marketing people, they go, oh, you need to get better insight from them. 
we're too small. They yeah. won't give it to us. Yeah. And we just have to accept it. So we would do separate digital marketing, driving people to the retail outlets that have our coffee to ensure... Separate ads than yep. your website. Yeah. yeah, completely separate to ensure that they are getting there. And because that space in a retail store, from the retail store's world, it's an expensive piece of space. Yeah. And if our product isn't performing, we lose it. And people often forget the amount of eyes that will see your product every week if it's there, you know, in front of them. So if you get into Aldi and Tesco's and Dunn's, I mean, you're talking like hundreds of thousands of people every week seeing those. I'm going to sound like I have a, a contentious marriage now. My wife would be giving out to me myself and Dave at the weekend when we'd be out doing our own personal shopping. Yeah. We, if we pass Velo, we've just this natural habit of tidying it up on the shelf and re-merchandising <laughs> the shelf and stuff. But we send each other before and after pictures and Michelle would be going like, it's a Sunday afternoon, Rob. Will you leave Dave alone? I'm like, well, no, he sent me three pictures over the weekend. I'm just sending them two. Yeah. But yeah. it's, you have to mind it. You have to respect it. And I suppose we get upset when we go in and the product is thrown around the shelves. That's just the retail world. And we're lucky that it's there. Like Tesco's and Douglas at the moment, when you go inside the door, they give us a big display for weeks on end. Yeah, just inside the door. Yeah. And that placement is unbelievable. But Aldi, we feature in the alley leaflet and like yeah. they print hundreds of thousands of them and you'll see them in houses. They're, they're in bits because people look at them. Yeah. Um. So we, we've been lucky with the exposure we get. Um. Yeah, we go looking for a lot of it and we hunt for it, but it's landed for us. There's lots of people do more creative stuff and better than us and it just doesn't land. We're lucky that it, it lands and we, we keep pushing ourselves internally to make sure that what are we doing next? You probably have to do a lot of traditional marketing around those stores as well in terms of, I know you had an ad on Sky and things last year and you do a lot of PR as well, don't you? The Sky ad was was great. It was a real eye-opener for us on what's involved in making a proper TV ad. Yeah. There was two full days of filming for a 30-second ad. Yeah. The soundtrack for the ad was created by Dennis Kilty. Like, it was the work that went in, the voiceover studio, it's... It was a whole eye-opener. We try and get PR, but, you know, as people would say, so watch your coffees in a new shop. That's not news, Rob. Mm. So we need to to generate news and create news. Mm. We're, we're kicking around ourselves at the moment to try and find something that we can do on a national level next year. We do spend probably too much on advertising, mm. and we'd like to do something nationally community based next year we haven't found what it is yet so if anyone has an idea pop us a line as to what we could do next year to to do more community based stuff to create than a feel just, good factor a bit yeah. like what super value mm-hmm. and stuff have done with tidy tones and those type of things maybe yeah. Yeah. yeah um and and just instead of just putting it out there advertising the big companies and, and pushing your product in front of people that we're doing something yeah. that means something you're giving back I'd, I'd imagine COVID was good for you. Like, I, 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 that sounds bad, but in terms of, I suppose, the lockdown, home coffee, home producing, making your own coffee at home rather than out in the cafes, that was probably a good thing for you, is it? At the start of COVID, you couldn't say that COVID was good for us. And, like, it was, the short answer, but there's a lot of businesses have that COVID has been good. It transformed our business. Like, mm. that whole online piece now has completely changed. And that habit is here to stay. Yeah. People's habits have changed now and they're not going to change back. You know, the likes of you investing in the Sage machine, you're going to continue using that yeah. going forward. So You see it every day when you walk yeah. into your kitchen, yeah. yeah. And it's on your shopping list now to get beans for the machine. Yeah. Subscriptions is a, a piece that's changing as well. 
America is huge for subscriptions. England is growing for subscriptions, but they're relatively new in Ireland. Yeah. Still. It's happening and, a bit in Dublin, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So like we, we see every month now that subscriptions are growing and it's getting better plugins to the Shopify site that will be more flexible with the, with the subscription for the end users so that they can pop in and change it during mm. the year. The short answer is, yeah, COVID was a game changer, but really positive for us. So when, when COVID kicked in, so one thing that we didn't talk about is the cafe. You sold the cafe, did you? Or We sold the cafe just at the start of COVID. The coffee... Was it before, like, before it all yeah. kicked in? Just just as it was kicking in. Yeah. Um, And it was like, it was a real lucky break. The coffee was already a separate business for a long time. It was out in its own warehouse and they were completely removed. Okay. But getting rid of the cafe freed up time to really push on the coffee business. And yeah. having a cafe is lovely meeting your customers every mm. day, but they need you to be there. To and look you after weren't them. always there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it, it gave us the, the ability to get out of that and focus on the coffee business and it was just a really lucky break and we're and people are still a bit confused I'd imagine because they see the name Velo above the door when you sold it did you did you not put something in to say you have to change the name their plan was to change it into a pizza hut so they were planning on bringing pizza hut back to Cork and turning turning three locations into pizza hut and COVID has restricted that we're trying to be understanding yes it's dragging on a bit now yeah but look at it's it'll happen It'll happen eventually. And yeah. the other piece is, you know, you've touched on that we're around the country. We started in Cork. The people of Cork have really supported us, but we've literally, we're lucky. We have customers all over the country now. Yeah. And and it's a, it's a small window there that has that confusion. It That's true. Happen. It's only people in Cork that would know that, actually. Yeah. 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 So the cafe was closed and then COVID kicked in. Did you sit around the table and say, we have to do stuff here? We have to change the business model? We have to do... What happened? The, the website kind of became alive. Okay. Um, there was more orders coming through. So historically, we would have an order would have come in and it would have triggered an email. And we'd be, oh, where are the boxes again? We have yeah. an order for the website. Oh, whereas now we have an online room. Paddy's Day, the COVID kicked in. There's nothing nicer than roasting coffee when you don't have to roast it. If you're not chasing to get an order deadline yeah. met. And it's, it's a really enjoyable experience. There's... I think there's a musical sound off the coffee roaster. People mm. think I'm a bit mad now, but a musical yeah. sound coming off a machine. But I was in the warehouse roasting coffee because there was no parades. There was nothing to do. And I said, Michelle, I'm just going to head to work for a couple of hours there and just yeah. get on top of things. And we got a call from one of our big customers to say, oh, I can hear you're working. Great. Um, look at this COVID thing. This is what we're seeing. Can we run through your supply chain? So our bags come from Asia. Our boxes are created by Don Pack and Bandon. But our coffee comes from across the world. Yeah. And supply chain was already starting to fall apart. Yeah. So we went through our supply chain and he said to me, look, at these are the areas we're seeing. We've already been told by one or two of our producers that they're going to be off shelf. They're going to run into issues. Yeah. Please don't be one of them. And I sent a small fortune to Asia that minute to order more bags to ensure that we weren't one of them. Yeah. And you touched on the, the COVID good for coffee. So when the other producers left them down, I said to the planogram person, you know, if there's a gap there, we'd love to fill it. We know we won't have that gap always, but for a long period of time, we double facings where we shouldn't have had them. And that gave us the more exposure. You were talking about the thousands of people seeing the product. That figure doubled and our sales increased hugely during that period down to product availability and exposure. And then if we do a good job, the product stands up, we get repeat customers. So the whole piece of changing them we realized hold on a minute 
Nobody knew at the start of COVID what it meant. No, this is going to be longer. Yeah. So then we put procedures in place to ensure that we split ourselves into different teams so that if somebody got down, we could still produce. Yes. We're lucky there's a year's shelf life on the coffee. We tried to produce another couple of weeks ahead. So if something did happen that we were we were ahead, that we wouldn't be the one to let down our customers. Yeah. And we just separated ourselves out into teams. We spaced ourselves out in the warehouse more and just ensured that we kept producing all the way through. We never had a full outbreak of COVID in the business. Individuals got COVID. Yeah. But every day the business was open and we, we stayed producing. So there was a movable change all the time. You know, we had to create a COVID officer. Yeah. There's only 15 of us in the business, but we still had to have, have procedures to have and yes. compliance in place and ensure that, that we were all conscious of it and aware of it. We only had a conversation last Friday saying, look, at the numbers are going up again. Yeah. We need to all be aware. Mm. If you're unsure, just stay at home for a day. We'd rather have somebody at home for a day, get a test, make sure, than end up with us being closed. If if we go through those those lockdowns then and, and you know, all the coffee, these little horse boxes and all that kind of starting up everywhere, do you deal with B2B then as well? Do you, like, is it just business to consumer? Are you dealing with that little guy that wants to set up down in Garrestone Beach or in Chidani or wherever, you know? So we, we, we touched a lot on the retail and the website, just like the unlucky piece for Velo was literally the week of COVID, we got our first order into Cisco, which was formerly Palace Foods mm. for the food service side of it. Yeah. And we were really excited. We were going to take on the world, the devil and all. Pallet went in and lockdown hit. Restaurants were closed. Cafes were closed. Hotels were shut down. And that stock sat there for weeks. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, the horse boxes started popping up in that. And like we have a full food service set up. So like whether it be the batch brewers for a hotel, the espresso machines, just as we were coming down here today, there was more machines arrived in. But So you provide the machines for the hotels and restaurants hotels, as well. Hotels, restaurants, cafes, horse boxes, you name it. Whoa. And it's 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 a separate piece, but when we started out, if we wanted to build awareness, we needed to do that through the retail arm. Yeah. And then the consumer becomes aware of the product. They know that it produce a good cup of coffee. Yeah. Then the cafes, restaurants and hotels have the confidence to buy it. You're growing very fast, Rob. Like like with fifteen people you said in the team but you, there's a lot of stuff going on at the same time, whether it's trying to grow the business within the big retailers, trying to grow the online sales and internationally, and then you're also going B2B. Like, how do you manage that? Back down to having fantastic people around me and I'm a big believer in empowering them. Yeah. So I had a manager before and he, you say to me, that's your box, go and play in that box. If you need to come out of it, just do me a favor, let me know before you do. So they all know in their field, they can make a decision. Just make it and I'll back them. Yeah. I may say to them afterwards if it turns out to be the wrong decision, if that happens again, I prefer if you went this way. Yeah. But having really good people, like there's three people in the warehouse that have been in the cafe originally that are there for a long time and we're excited about the growth. Yeah. We're passionate about the growth. It's great. There's so much going on. But, you know, we've sent Palace of Coffee to Malaysia um, we're actively going after the UK. So we touched on the piece that we lost with Brexit. We're, we're doing a huge amount of direct-to-consumer in the UK and we want to get a foothold in retail over there in the next 18 months. Mm. So there's a huge amount going on, but having the right people there and people looking after it. And how are you managing 
the UK with Brexit because the other way around things take forever to get to Ireland like how are you getting the stuff in there? It depends on what it is if it's equipment based uh, we have a fulfillment centre in the north that we deal with Okay, and they're just fantastic guys they're I don't know how they keep up with because we're not their only customer but they seem to have hand and glove over every order and if it's coffee um, there's no duty on coffee so coffee can sail straight in we use Unpost for the majority of our stuff and we use yeah. DHL for some of it. We had a nightmare at the start of the year with stuff coming in. Yeah. We've removed 99% of our UK suppliers. There's one or two that we just have to still deal with. Yeah. And that was back down to going back as far as Asia, going across Europe and replacing them because of the Brexit piece. And Suzanne and Aoife are just following up on orders, making sure that they're getting there, doing, running a quick report, making sure that everything's delivered that should be delivered. And it's back down to that customer service piece to ensure that we're looking after them that they're not chasing us to know where it is that we're chasing to make sure they got it so that we'll get that repeat order and will you be talking to like support BR Enterprise Ireland about how do we promote this product overseas now we we were lucky at the start of when you when you look at what it achieved for us at the start of COVID we like many people got the trading online voucher from yeah. Paul McGurk and the guys over in Leo yeah and what that's done for our business so like that two and a half grand has led to three full-time jobs Whoa. in our case. Um, Massive return on investment for public money there, if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, huge. And we've we've migrated from Leo to Enterprise Ireland this year with a view to really pushing on the website yeah. and pushing on that interna- internationalization. We've, we're waiting on feedback from a distributor in New York at the moment on the coffee. Um, he has samples over there. He is already distributing other coffees in New York. So we've lots going on that you've touched on with a small team. But these things all take time. Mm. So, you know, we were dealing with Duns for 14 or 15 months. Tesco's came to us a couple of years ago at a trade event. And we said no, because we felt the product would get lost on the shelf. Yeah, But then the timing was right with COVID, with the desire to buy Irish, with the mm. change in coffee. And we went back to them and said, we feel now that we would jump off your shelf. Yeah, um, And it, it's having that one, realizing that in the world we, we're in, stuff moves slowly in some cases, it moves quicker in others, but being, being ready and continually working on it. So in the last three weeks, Suzanne's done a good bit with America. We've a consultant that we're working with on the UK, and that'll be a 14-month window to, to land a proper UK retail listing. Yeah. Um, there'll be a lot of work over the next couple of months. Then it'll go quiet and there'll be peaks and troughs. But it's just continually pushing on and, and taking in bite-sized chunks, but working with the Enterprise Ireland, the board beers. And do you have a community that you can kind of reach out to that maybe have been there, done that, bought the T-shirt in the UK, the US, like Irish products? You know, like, have you have you spoken to people who've had success? Barry's Tea are very good to us. Ballymaloo Foods are very good to us. Maxine and Ballymaloo is yeah. great. And, and like, they've both had, had success across yeah. the board. We mentioned Final Bend earlier on. I was talking to Emma a couple of weeks ago. When you're a small business working for yourself, yeah, you don't realise it. We all have the same problems. Yes. We all have, you know, the buyer won't answer my calls. The buyer's ignoring my emails. Yeah. I've run into cash flow problems because I've overextended my purchase of stocks. Yeah. My VAT return is due yesterday and I I don't know how I'm going to find the time to get it done today. Yes. We're all the same and it's it's 
I suppose as you spend longer working for yourself, mm. you realize as you get talking to more people, we all have the same problem. So about asking for the help, everyone loves to help somebody. Yeah, they they're, do. Yeah. They're, they're all willing to give the help if you just ask. So what's the what's the goal for for Velo? Like, what, what's the plan? <laughs> I suppose it's is it, I I'm guessing it's not like a case where we'll see what way the road goes. I'd imagine you have a vision. We have a clear business plan for the next five years. Yeah. Um, and it's all around expansion, and it's around expansion of the separate divisions. So pushing on with our Irish retail, mm. ensuring that we mind what we have because mm. there's no point in being a leaky bucket maintaining and looking after them, giving them best-in-class service from us, yeah. ensuring the quality of the product. We've won lots of awards for the coffee. That's important, I'd say, is it? We put a lot of work into them. Yeah. Um, and like the India that we won gold for in Bloss last year, we're in touch with that farmer. Um, the El Salvador that we've won two awards for, we have a call with them next week on next year's crop to ensure that they know that we respect the product that they're producing. Yeah. They know that we want their product so that we're both in this together, that when they're looking after their farm next year, well, if we really produce a good crop, Velo will buy it off us. Yeah. Because the Velo customer will buy it so we can have the confidence to to get in that for them. And the awards are really important. The Like the guys in Bloss will go around and spot check during the year. They'll buy the coffee, not off us, mm. in the retail outlets is available and ensure that if we got gold in Bloss that we're producing it to a gold standard. The one that caught us was um the Great Taste 3 Star. 2015, from what we can see, was the last time an Irish coffee got a Great Taste 3 Star. And that was great because it was our original blend. Yeah. It was the Morning Fixie. Um, and to, to get that this year was fantastic for us and we got a load of two stars one of Suzanne's favourite coffees is the Colombian um, and for that to get two stars just fantastic so that's back down to the work that Adam does and ensuring that the quality is there that he's watching what he's doing day in day out and would I be right in saying that you're probably one of the top selling Irish coffee producers in the, around like there's not that many that will be selling overseas uh, of of the small ones, we we we're probably creeping up there at this stage. Yeah. Um. You still have the Bewley's, I suppose, is the biggest, is it? Well, you've you've Bewley's like Java sold out to a Spanish company last year. Um, yeah. But it was like it was a big, yeah. It was a big deal. Um. Yeah. And like three FE in Dublin will be will be, be strong and across the country. Like, frank and honest, it's it's imported coffee, but they've they've a good share of the market. It's not roasted in Ireland, but it's yeah. they have a strong shareholding in the market as well. So. We're trying hard to punch above our weight, I suppose, Steve, is the short answer. Yeah, and it's, and it's it's only on the way up. Um, like, pricing, yeah, that must be a challenge because I'd imagine going into those stores, like, margins are tight, I'd say. Eh? The retail space has changed, so they realise that they need suppliers Yeah, and they need a good relationship with their suppliers. So we're bordering on a trade war at the moment with all the supply chain stuff that's going on yeah. and restrictions and changes in tariffs. So... If I have a, a limited supply, I'm going to give it to the retailer who's looking after me as well. Mm. And they're all realizing that. So the hard days of the retailers, I won't say they're gone, but there's a more we're in this together partnership relationship. Yeah. You're dealing with a professional buyer now. So they're aware of the costs of a business. Yeah. They're aware of the costs of a product. So once you're being fair to them and producing a product that the consumer is going to be able to afford and see the value in, they're happy it, we we work this together that like if Velo doesn't make money this year 
And it's one of the things like in Ireland, profit is a bad word. If we don't make profit this year, mm. we won't be there next year. Yeah. And the retailers understand that now. So if you go into one of our retailers and you pick up our coffee, that might be what bought you to that retailer. So they want exactly. our coffee there next week. Yeah. And it's that ensuring that we are there to supply them. Yeah. And that, that atmosphere has changed. But I wouldn't be going for a stupid price rise. Yes. That, there's a lot of talk at the moment. Coffee is going up significantly. So this time last year, coffee on the New York Stock Exchange would have traded at 116. It's at 226 this morning. Whoa. That's the industrial produced, mass produced coffee, but it's an indicator of where speciality is. Yeah. So like all of the coffee in Velo is speciality grade coffee. So it's scored above 80 on the SEA. There's no defects in our coffee and it's it's just a higher quality coffee, but it gives you an indication of where the market's at. So that relationship with the farmers, they would have always got a premium supplying into us. Yeah. We don't expect the premium to double next year, but they'll need more. So two final questions to wrap it up because uh, it's I could talk to you all day about coffee and and it's been a fascinating story in, this, in the space of, I suppose, six years. That's all it is really, yeah. you know, in, in terms of your journey and actually even less when we talk about the actual roasted beans and stuff itself. The two questions I ask everyone every week is, the first one is, what tip would you give another business to build their brand? The biggest one I give anyone who's starting out on their own is stick to the knitting. So if you have a plan day one and it looks like a good plan, stick to it. When you're when you're self-employed and you're in that little island on your own at the start, yeah. it's very easy to get distracted and people come into you and they have, they have different ideas. So if your plan was robust at the start, stick to it. Yeah. If there's a flaw in your plan that you've identified, that's fine change. But but don't start flapping in the wind and, you know, we're not a tea business. We're a coffee business. Yes. You know, why don't you produce an espresso capsules? We're not an espresso. Yeah. That's their job. Yeah. So stick to our plan. And our plan is to grow our coffee business and, and just stick to that. So that means know that you're growing across Ireland. You're now looking at, okay, what other markets can we tap into? Rather than try and bring out a different type of product, as you said, like a capsule. And what tip would you give an individual? The one that that always entertains me is, you know, your network. Yeah. Um, people refer to their LinkedIn network, their social media network. It has to be two-way. I can't leverage off people all the time. Yes. If it's not going back as well. So respect your network always and ensure that you're giving back to your network, that you're not always taking from it. Is that why um, you're on the likes of the board of Cork Chamber? Yeah, so, like, I feel that that we should all give something back. Yeah. Um, in the earlier stages, you don't have time. Yeah. Um, and when you do have time, just remember to do it. And, you know, if, if somebody in your network asks you if you can do something, if you can, do it. And okay. if you can't, explain to them why you can't and when you will. It's been fantastic to talk to you, Rob. Um, looking forward to tasting lots more coffee from you guys over the next while and looking forward to seeing you... Uh, on shopping shelves across the UK and the US and so on in the future. Thanks, Will, for coming in. Thanks, Will, for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe. I'll be back next week with a brand new guest.